Good morning, Gilmer. I like to say howdy, howdy, Gilmer. But hey, my name is Jeff Manning. I am uh, from the Longview Campus Ministry of Spiritual Formation over there. I'm glad to be with you again this morning. Um, I think the only time I'm with you is when I, when I preach. And so I'd love to come back time, sometime and just worship with you. But I'm glad to be back, glad to share God's word with you. Um, we're going to be in Philippians again this morning, Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a copy, of your Bible, copy of the Word of God, turn to Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. We're starting a new series called Together We. We've already been in a couple of series through Philippians, uh, Healthy Church, which is kind of through chapter, part of chapter 1, and also To Live as Christ, and now we're going to keep, keep going into chapter 2. And here's the main emphasis for us. Uh, chapter 2 is going to be about the, the different ways that we are the people of God together. What are we together as the people of God, corporately? In our text this morning, Paul, the apostle, is going to exhort the church in Philippi that they should stand together. So this idea of together we stand, that we stand with and for one another in Christ. And I think it's necessary if you if you were here last week for Pastor Matt's sermon, I think it's necessary that we go back to the, really the main point of his sermon, which is we, we get from uh, chapter 1 and verse 27. If you're able to look at it, take a look at it. This is the main point of, the, of last week's sermon, and we're going to have to come back to it today. Verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, this is, this is the one thing. This is the most significant thing that you need to understand. You should live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Paul says, so that others may see that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. That's the reason we should live in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that others you and the outside world may see that we're striving together, that we belong to the same Lord. We believe in the same message. We're unified in the gospel. And that's where we're going to have to take our cue from today. Paul's big idea in our text today is that the church should stand together in Christ. The, ch the church should stand together in Christ. And how are we going to do that? How is it that the church is going to stand together? It's, it's going to be because we are of the same Minds by being of the same mind. Together, we should devote every energy of our imagination and our attention to Christ and his ministry for the sake of others. So that's where we're going to be today. United in Christ of the same minds, devoting all of our attention to Christ and his work on our behalf and for the sake of others. So that's where we're going to be today. And as I was thinking about it, have you guys ever heard the phrase, um, in my mind's eye, has anyone ever used that phrase before? As in my mind's eye, as in I can see you in my mind's eye. It's probably a little bit antiquated phrase. Maybe you've said something like in my imagination or in my head, I thought it was going to be like this. It just means you have a mental picture. You have an idea about what something should look like or what you thought it should be. And sometimes it's either better than you expected or it's worse than you ever imagined. This has all been of our experience of middle school, right? It's worse than we ever imagined. 
or maybe high school. It was worse than we imagined. We thought it was going to be good. Turned out not so great. Kind of mess with our mental picture. But in your mind's eye, here's the question for today. In your mind's eye, in your imagination, what is the church? In your imagination, what is the church? Is it better than you expected? Or is it worse than you imagined? Is it clear to you and is it clear to the people where you live and where you work and where you play that the most important thing, think about going back to verse 27, that the most important thing is Jesus Christ and his ministry to others. Is that what people think about when they think of the church? And that, that's a general question, but is that, is that what people think about New Beginnings Gilmer? Can I, can I go back to Longview and say, is this what people think about New Beginnings Longview, that the thing we care about the most is Jesus Christ and his ministry to the world? What is it that you imagine? And really the key question is not what we imagine. Is it what, is it what Jesus has called us to? See, the church today is not just in a state of crisis. It's, it's in a state of apocalypse. And here's what that means. We've been praying for revival. This has been a steady theme for our church. I know you've been praying for it. You've been laboring for it. We long to see revival. But here's what this means. It means before there's going to be a great revival, there must be a great reckoning among us. See, what's being revealed is that the church has not devoted itself to the way of Jesus it's been through the influence of evil powers and really our own sin and our own desires that we've given our attention to worldly things and we're beginning to see the fruit all around us. It doesn't take too long. You don't have to go very far to see the devastation that even the church can cause when it takes its eyes off its Savior and it puts it on its own interests. The poet Mary Oliver once said, uh, something that I think is very instructive for even for the Christian life. She says, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention, what you fix your imagination and your mind on, is the beginning of devotion. There's many things to follow that, right? But you first have to give your attention because what we give our attention and our imagination to is what we will ultimately become. See, Paul's point today in our text is that if we do not give our attention to the work of Christ, we will not fulfill the ministry of Christ. If we don't fix our eyes on him, we will not see the, a fruitful ministry because we've left behind our Savior. And if the church is not of the same mind, we will destroy one another. But Paul's point today is if we have the mind of Christ, we will love and serve one another. And it's all a matter of who we give our attention to. So that's where we're going to go today. We want to discover in Philippians chapter 2, what is, what is the point of the church? What should the church look like? What should it be? So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Hopefully you're there. And if you are there, say the Bible is true. Praise the Lord. Here's what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to his church. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the in- his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming, to the, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? as we get going here this morning. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And our prayer this morning is is really just that from Psalm 27, that there's only one thing that we seek and only one thing that we want and desire, that we may dwell in your house to be among your people. God, we we wanna look upon, gaze upon, have our imaginations changed by looking at your son, Jesus. So we seek him this morning. We want to know him. So we pray that you would transform us by this word this morning. We need your help. So God be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So friends, the big idea here this morning that Paul wants to communicate to us is that the church should be unified in Christ. That's going to be the big idea. The church, the church should be unified in Christ. But the question is how? How is that going to happen? I think Paul is going to give us three ways for the church to achieve the unity that we need and that we long for. And the first thing that Paul wants to see is that we stand together by claiming the mind of Jesus. We stand together by claiming the mind of Jesus. Here's another way that we could say it is that when we claim the minds of Christ, we begin to translate what Christ has done into what Christ is doing. We begin to translate those things that he has done for us into what he is now doing in the world. In verse 1, Paul reminds them of what's been done for them. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And if you read it, that, that so if phrase, that's confusing to you, and that's, that's not a condition. Paul's not setting up a condition. If you have these things, and it's not a question. I wonder if you have these things. It's an assumption. Paul's already told them how encouraged he is by their faithfulness. Right? And so these statements aren't, aren't a condition or a question. They're just statements of since you've received these things or because you've received these things, this is what should follow. It's a reminder to them of what they can claim, of what belongs to them. And Paul presses them further in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, complete my joy. Because you've received these things, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in a full accord in one mind. He now means that since you've been changed by the gospel, since you've received this encouragement, since you have been comforted by love, since you have participated in the community of faith that is his church, here's what he says. Hey, keep it going. Carry it on. Carry it through until you are fully 
unified, complete my joy by continuing the ministry of Jesus that I gave to you. You guys see what he's saying there? Because you received these things, now you have the opportunity to do it for somebody else, to carry on the work. And as I was thinking about this, if you're a mother in the room, you recognize, you easily recognize this kind of reasoning from Paul because of the, you've done laundry in your family's household. You guys know what I mean? So here's, here's the scenario. This is, did, did, looking at your child, did, did, I, did I buy your clothes? Uh, yes. Did, did, I, did I wash your clothes? Yes. Uh, did, did I dry your clothes? Uh, yes. Well, then, son, complete my joy by folding them and putting them away for me. You guys understand the reasoning? The big setup at the end is because, hey, I've, I've done these things for you, and you should be grateful, and I want you to also participate in these things. And I was just thinking about that, too. Uh, in my household, I would also fit under that category as well. Uh, did I buy your clothes? Yes, you bought my clothes. Matter of fact, my wife bought me this shirt, so um, this is actually true. But Paul gets joy from others being obedient to Jesus. Paul gets joy when others participate. And he, because he understands this reality that, that unity will only become a reality if people participate in it, if they obey. And my question for us, one of the questions is, do, is, do we have this kind of joy? Do we get joy from seeing others obey Christ and to participate in his mission, obey his ways, long to see him? Do the ministry that he does. Paul Miller calls this kind of unity the skin of love. It's the thing that people should see when they look at the church. That when they look at the church, they should see unity. Because we're, we're laboring together. Paul says we do this by being of the same mind. He's going to use this word three times. You should be of the same mind, which, which tells us that it's really important. It's this idea of, of thoughtful planning. It's not just thinking ahead, because many of us can plan ahead really well just out of necessity. But this, this is, gets closer to the, the heart of the matter, that we should have an attitude or a disposition for the sake of somebody else. It's being intentionally thoughtful, and it's being intentionally joyful when you begin to think about others. He's saying, have this same mind. Have this same attitude. Think ahead for the sake of others. It's about becoming a person who puts the interest of others above your own. And what I would invite you to is I would invite you to consider Jesus, who was the answer to our sin issue from the very beginning, that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and left us with a legacy of guilt and shame as our inheritance, God had intentionally a thoughtful and a joyful plan to send Jesus, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this triune God that we confess and believe, we're on the same page from the very beginning. They had a plan put in place. They were of the same minds. And it was to give you and I a new inheritance. 
And if we were to, that's the beginning of the story, by the way. So from the very beginning of the story, they were of the same mind. But if we go fast forward to the end of the story, if you look at Revelation chapter 7, we get a picture of what our future is like together. It's glorious. We can't even comprehend what it looks like yet. That it says every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the Lamb and crying out with one loud voice that salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne. That's the picture of our future together. In the beginning, God was unified, still is unified in his plan. And our future together, church, should we participate in it and have the joy to participate in it is that we get to be a part of that picture. One voice, one people, lifting one voice aloud together. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The beginning and the ending of the story, knowing those things, help us to have the same mind, to know that what he's done for us and what he is now doing through us. Friends, this is why we say the Bible is true. We must know that story because that story is going to tell us what kind of people we should be and what kind of God we serve. We should know that story. But Paul introduces some trouble for us. Something, something's going to hinder us from fulfilling that. Look at verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count or consider others more significant than yourselves. Friends, here is the biggest hindrance to the church's goal of unity. It's us. We are our biggest hindrance when we become selfish and conceited. These are the two things that Paul wants to warn us of that will keep us from having the same mind. And I think it's important that we realize that Paul says it's selfish ambition because ambition can be a good thing, right? Many of you in your, in your, in your vocations, in your careers, in your jobs, in your family, in your plans, man, you are a go-getter. You are ambitious. You are fully who you are in Christ and you are running hard after uh, the things that God wants you to do with the gifts that God has given to you. Ambition can be good. And especially with this truth of every believer is called, it's gonna take some kind of ambition to, to move the gospel forward. So we should be every bit as eager and every bit as creative in advancing the gospel message. But Paul is gonna warn us about a selfish ambition. A warning about making themselves look bigger than they are or doing things out of resentment of others. Sometimes we could be so committed to our goals, we'd rather resent people in the process to get what we want. Even if it's, even if it's good things. And what is conceit? What is conceit? Have you ever heard this word? Conceit is an empty or cheap pride. It's vanity. Paul is saying, do nothing for yourself. Do nothing for yourself. Don't make yourself look bigger. Don't make yourself appear better than you actually are. You guys ever seen somebody who's just really conceited and you can smell them from a mile away and you see them from a distance and you know just how empty they are? 
You ever known somebody like that? You ever been something like that? Like you, had to, you almost had to prove yourself so much it became clear that you're doing it from a place of insecurity. That's what Paul is talking about here. Your, your kind of conceit is so obvious. You're so full of yourself, you're actually empty on the inside. And you're looking for others to fill you and to serve you and to look to you. Right? And can you, can you imagine the people of God who follow a crucified Lord elevating themselves above others and even other believers? This is why we ask the question, in your mind's eye, is this who we are? In what ways have we been selfishly ambitious? In what ways have we used other people, even within the church, to, to fill us, to gain something that only, only Jesus can give? Because, friends, when we claim the mind of Christ, we are not left empty. The reality is that we have all that we need in Christ. And that's why Paul reminds them of these things early on. He wants to remind them that these are the truths that you already have. And because you already have those things, you don't have to feed off others. You don't have to consume others. You don't have to prey on others, win over others anymore. That's not what the people of God are for. We don't join the church to have all of our felt needs met and that's it. There's something that we're going to get to in verse 8 that's going to give us the basis for why we even serve one another in the first place. But Paul is going to say that the only way we stand together is if we claim the mind of Christ because it begins with this truth is that Christ is all we have. Christ is all we have. We can love and serve one another, but our fundamental truth that we have to come back to is Jesus and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you're going through I mean, a difficult situation, some profound, intense suffering, maybe you've been told, maybe you've been told your entire life that really you, sh- you have to look out for you. You have to look out for you. No one's going to be looking out for you. You have to make your own. You have to get what's yours. And first, I want to tell you here this morning, that's a lie. That's, that's as empty as someone who has everything and has maybe not been through what you've been through. And I want you to hear this this morning. The word today means that Jesus is looking for you. That the reason he tells his church these things is because they have a ministry to fulfill. And so if you're hearing this word this morning and you've been invited here, you, just need, to he- you need to understand that Jesus is the one who is looking for you. He wants to bring you near. He wants to be your savior. And this is the word. Friends, this is, this is the word. This is the message that we have to give to others. And so if you're here this morning and that's you, you're not a follower of Jesus and this is what you're going through, my encouragement to you would be to look to the one who came looking for you first. Look to him. Trust in him. Come to him. And if... If you are a believer here today, you're part of his church, the question for us is, are you looking for those who need Jesus? To to pass on, to give to others what you've received. The first thing that we need to hear today is we must claim the mind of Jesus, but we also need an example to follow. And this is the second way that we achieve unity. Look at verse 5. Look at verse, kind of a transition 
sentence here. Verse five says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he says, first you have to claim this, this mind. You have to claim this truth that you belong to him, but that you have this mind among yourselves and it's in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we stand together by following the example of Jesus. By following the example of Jesus. What, what is the example that he set for us? It's two things really. Is that he became like us and then he came for us. That's his example. That he became like us in every way and he has come for us. So what does this mean for us to follow that example? It means that we take on Jesus' ministry of presence and service for one another. We're present for people and we serve them on their behalf. That's what it means. And about these verses, Paul Miller says that the Apostle Paul is now peeling back that outer skin. So we talked about the outer skin. The outer facing thing that people see is the unity of the church. But this shows us that there's a supporting structure of love. Having the love of Christ is what supports our unity together. If we do not have the love of Christ, we do not have unity together. Does that make sense? That underneath all of our unity... It can't be a false unity. Our unity has to be in Christ and Christ alone. This is where we get this first truth that he became like us. Look at verses 6 and 7. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or another way to say it is he did not exploit his divinity. Rather, he was born in the likeness of men. He was born like us. He became like us. And we need to understand this because, and I think we, as someone, who, as, we, as a church who hears it on a regular basis, is that we do need to remember that Jesus is God. This is fundamentally our confession, that this is what Paul means by when Jesus being in the form of God, that he is the eternal Son of God. He is the perfect Son of God, perfect in his power, perfect in his, in his holiness and glory. He is, is self-sufficient and he needs nothing from us. And it's really, it's, it's beyond our imagination to, to, to figure out how the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, could become like us in every way. Paul refers to this as a mystery. We can't fully understand what it, what it means for, for Jesus to become like us. So it's a beyond our imagination. But it's our primary confession that every time we witness baptism, we hear these words that Jesus is Lord. That the one who became like us, the one we were to follow us, he's not just a mere example, he is Savior. And if he is not Savior, then we have no Christianity. So we have to remember that he is Lord, he is God. And this is the beauty of the incarnation, Christ becoming like us, becoming like us in every way. Author of Hebrews would say it like this, that he became like us in every way. He's able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. As a son of God, he did not take advantage of his glory and ignore our need, but he became like us and he came for us. And this is the second part not just that he took on human flesh, but he came for us. He had an intentional plan. Look again at verse 7. 
It says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He was in the form of God and not just, he didn't come in just in the likeness of men. He came in the form of a servant. He emptied himself is what Paul says. And what Paul means by that is that he did not count his privileges. He did not, he did not maintain his, his privileges of glory, but he came to, one, be born. What, a, what an odd experience for the Son of God to be born in the same way that we have, that we were. And not only that, but to live a life, not as the king that everybody expected him to be, but to become a servant. It's that beautiful picture of in the upper room and Jesus puts on cloth and he gets on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciple. He came to be a servant. And that the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory is the one who shows us the way of humility. And that the creator of the world could come and live a life in this way, as our example, what would it look like for us as his church to follow his, his ways? How would the world be changed? How would we be changed if we followed his example? Because this is the highest form of humility. For the Lord of glory to become like us, the highest form of, of humility. But it's also, it's also pretty simple. It's also pretty simple. That Christ does a work that we could not do but the ministry that he's left us with is a ministry of presence and it's a ministry of service. And if you've ever seen uh, the show The West Wing, any West Wing fans in here? I don't see any. But the Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Matt is one. So uh, if you ever strike up a conversation with him about West Wing, it would be welcome. Uh, but there's a wonderful example. It's, it's, a, it's a show about the White House. And there's a senior staff named Josh Lyman. And Josh has been through uh, a traumatic event. And uh, it's affected him so much, he's worried about losing his job. And his chief of staff, his, his boss, comes to him, kind of catches him in the hallway as he's really anxious about losing his job. But Leo, his chief of staff, has been through some stuff too. And he wants to share, with, uh, share a parable with Josh. And the parable he shares goes like this. He said, there's this guy walking down the street. And as he's walking down the street, he falls into a hole. And the walls are so steep that he can't get out. And as he's in there, a doctor passes by and he calls into him, hey, could you help me out? I've been stuck in this hole. And the doctor writes a prescription, throws it down, and moves on. But well, then a pastor walks by and he said, hey, pastor, can you help me out? I've fallen down into this hole. Of course, pastor should be the one to help just like a doctor would, but he writes a, he writes a prayer and he throws it down into the hole and he moves on. But then a friend walks by and he says, hey, Joe, I've fallen into the hole. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps down into the hole. And the friend says, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck. He said, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. And what Leo says to Josh after that, he says, as long as I have a job, you have a job. See what he's doing there? You see the example that Leo is set, setting for him? Leo is saying that I'm like you because I've been through some stuff too. 
and I'm for you. I'll show you the way out. And as long as I've got standing, you're good too. Isn't that beautiful? That even though he was in the form of a boss, he took the form of a friend. That the people with titles and privileges in the story did not consider it their responsibility. They didn't consider it worth their time to help. But it was a friend who had been there before and he knew the way out. Friends, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend. Jesus was the one who jumped down in the hole and he knows the way out. He is our example and as long as we follow him, we will be unified. We must follow his example. We must be the ones who jump down in the hole to help others come out, right? This is the ministry that Jesus has given to us. Humility is not just the thing that gets us into the Christian faith. It becomes the way of life. Humility is both the gateway of our salvation and it's the pathway of our sanctification. It's how we become more and more like Jesus because it takes humility to come to Christ. This is our salvation but it also takes humility to follow the path of Christ. This is our sanctification. This is how we're changed. And so it may be, this may be the case this morning that you may have already come to him, but this is always the question, and maybe the one that we have to continually ask every single week is, I've already come to them, but am I following him? I've taken a hold of him, but I'm, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Because the antidote to this kind of selfish way that Paul is talking about, this, this conceit, the antidote to those things is a large dose of humility. He mentioned selfish ambition and conceit, but I can think of some others, and maybe this is the case for you this morning. Maybe you have been ambitious, maybe you have been conceited, but have you also been cynical? I'll raise my hand to that one. Think about the last few years. How easy has it been to be despairing and without hope and thinking the worst about each other. There's a kind of cynicism that can take place. What about apathy? It's like the opposite. Cynicism has this idea like, I'm, actually, I'm not actually going to do anything. I'm just going to complain about it all the time. And there's kind of an apathy as I just don't care anymore. And the scriptures would tell us that all of those, ambition, conceit, cynicism, apathy, these are all spiritual diseases. These are all spiritual diseases, and every single one of them have the remedy, and the remedy is humility. But this is not our own, only spiritual disease. Our more, we have a deeper need, and this is what we find in verse 8. We find our, deep, our deepest need in verse 8. Paul says if we're going to have unity, if we're going to stand together, we have to do it by glorying in the death of Jesus. He says in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as we come to a close here, I just want to make one point, probably the most important point, really clear, really simple, is that when we glory in the death of Jesus, we proclaim that it's not about our service, it's about his salvation. Because I don't want us to be confused here today. This, this text is not about us learning how to serve one another better. It's about realizing that the reason that we serve is because the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh for our sake. And because we belong to him, we proclaim his name, bear the name Christian, 
This is the ministry that we have to one another. And as we do that, we glory in the death of Jesus. We long for resurrection life, right? We long for the benefits of resurrection. We want our bodies to be whole. We want to have all that we need. But the fundamental basis of the Christian life is one of daily dying in Christ. And so we want to glory in the death because that is what our Savior has left us. I always think about the example of, of baptism. And sometimes there's a fear about being baptized, being in front of others, or not really understanding the significance of it. And one of the things we like to say is, hey, Jesus has commanded us to do these things. Jesus has called us to be baptized, to be united in his name and to follow him. And this is the fundamental reality that, look, if Jesus says it's good, I want to do it. And anything that Jesus says is good and that he calls us to, I want to follow him in, in it. And it's really the death of Jesus that we have to come back to. If he says this is the way that we should live, this is the way. We, we long for resurrection, but it's going to have to pass through death. Earlier, Paul told the Philippians that they should do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. But he, if you remember in the book of Corinthians, Paul tells them that he is determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He told them to do nothing. He says, but I want to also know nothing. Because the know nothing but Christ and him crucified helps us to do nothing for ourselves. We must come to terms that we have nothing else but Jesus Christ. His death for our life. If you think about that, that hymn that says, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I, I come with nothing and I get everything. We don't have to seek things from other people. Jesus, in his death, says we have it all. The cross is a place of execution. It's the place where our sins against God and our selfish acts against one another go to die. Christ humbled himself to the point of death, to the point of shedding blood. And without his death, death and resurrection, our presence to others. By the way, that's just being with people. You ever, ever been with somebody who's been through some in, intense suffering? Your ministry is presence. Just being with them. You don't have to say a word. Just be with them. And to serve them. Hey, what do you need? Can I get anything for you? Very simple. He's, get, he's left us a very simple ministry to one of them. Be present and be servant. But it means absolutely nothing if Jesus has not died. We would still be dead in our sins. But praise God. It's like 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Praise God because he has died and he has been resurrection. Paul says if he hasn't, we are people most to be pitied. But, in fact, he has been raised from the dead. So we have to glory in the death of Jesus because our service is not going to cut it. We're not going to be able to serve one another enough and provide for one another enough. Everything that we need is found in the death of Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you received that? 
And again, the question today is, are you walking in that? In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And anytime, anytime we hear the word of God preached, there should be a response. And that goes for everybody in the room. We, I know we do this every single week, and the invitation is not always just for someone who doesn't know Jesus. The response is for everybody. It just the response looks different for us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, your primary response is either a renewed faith, maybe, maybe your faith has been waning, you've been discouraged, you've, you've been the ambitious, ambitious person, you've been the conceited one, the apathetic one, Maybe this morning, maybe through the worship of the songs and the prayer and the reading of scripture and hearing the word preach, me, your faith has been renewed, you've been restored. Maybe that's one of the reasons you come, is to have your faith restored. Have you been reminded of the humiliation of Jesus for your sake? Has that struck you anew that someone would do that for you? Think about the most prestigious, wealthy, acclaimed person showing up and giving their life for you, not giving you things, giving their life for you wouldn't make sense. Are you struck anew today by the humiliation that Jesus endured for you? Has someone served you in the name of Jesus recently? I've got names in my mind. about people who have served me in the name of Jesus. And one of the ways that, I, that we grow together in our unity is if I, if I express gratitude in that. So is it for you, is it about expressing gratitude to God? Is it about, if they're here with you this morning, is it about going and finding them and telling them thank you? This is one of the ways that we grow in unity. Unity will come through gratitude. What about repentance? Friends, we, we have to remember that the church will not be unified as long as there's unrepentant sin. Because as long as we have unrepentant, hidden sin, the devil, Satan, lies, will work its way to the church and it will cause devastation and destruction. And all those pictures that we continually see about the state of the church will continue. But church, we, we can be unified if we're willing to trust in Jesus, be obedient and repent. And he said, hey, come. So are there ways that you've, you realize you failed to follow Jesus? Have you caused disunity in the church? I had to deal with that one in my heart. Ways that I've caused discord and disunity in the church, have we given ourselves to gossip about one another, gaining more satisfaction about saying something about someone else rather than leading them to Jesus, wanting to be restored? For all that, God's grace is available to you, but discerning where you are this morning, maybe it is baptism, maybe it's obedience through baptism. Again, baptism is a confession that you belong to Him and you belong to them. And so let's not, let's not put this just a stamp on baptism, like I've heard that before, I know I need to be baptized. No, baptism is that fundamental confession every single week, I belong to Christ and I belong to a group of people who are gonna hold me accountable to that truth. I need other people to help me walk with Christ.
So do you need to be baptized? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would remind you of something that was shared earlier. If you're here this morning, maybe it's because you received an invitation. Maybe you're in a place and you didn't know what else to do and you thought maybe coming this morning, which can change something. And I just wanna remind you, if you're here this morning, you need to understand Jesus, he's looking. He's looking for you, he sees you, he loves you, he wants you to know him. And you have the opportunity to come talk to some people who are gonna be available up here in a minute. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How can I take the next step? How can I become a follower? How can I know this savior? Look for all these things and more, we're gonna have a time of response. And so as Philip leads us, we'll have people down here to pray for you, but I would encourage you, respond in whatever needs you, you need to. Listen to the Spirit, obey, obey the Spirit. Our obedience will lead to life, and as we're seeking obedience together, we will be unified, amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you now, asking you to lead our time, our response, would you prompt, would you prompt in this room? faith, repentance, obedience, whatever it is, Lord, we want to be submissive to you and trust you. So would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen.